15. Numbers chapter 15 this morning as we continue our study in the book of Numbers. Talking this morning about principles for pleasing God. Principles for pleasing God. In spite of the failure of God's people to go to the promised land, God assures these people, uh, his people, of his promises, and he gives them principles on how to please him. Uh, These principles really uh, haven't changed. Uh, The generation of uh, 20-year-olds and older would not enjoy God's best for their lives because of their lack of obedience and faith. Uh, Their actions displeased the Lord and would lead to a 38-year funeral march, with the funerals occurring probably at a rate of one every 20 minutes. Uh, Their disobedience brought disqualification, and that was what Paul was concerned about in his life. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26 and 27, he said, I therefore so run, not as uncertain, certainly, so fight I, Not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The word castaway there uh, is uh, a word that means not standing the test, uh, not approved, unfit, unproved, uh, spurious, uh, reprobate. And it was used to describe metals. Metals that did not uh, measure up. They weren't pure. They weren't of a genuine weight. And so uh, Paul uses that word castaway there. But in spite of the failure of God's people Israel, God assured his people of future blessings for their children. And uh, through repentance and atonement, they could still have communion with God. So if we come to chapter 15... And verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land of your habitations, which I give you. You notice it says, When. Uh, He does not say, If you come. He says, When you come into the land. The word when is very positive. It's very definite. And that's the way salvation is. Salvation is very positive, very definite as well. Uh, It's given to us freely. It's not earned. It's not if you get saved or it's not if you, uh, if you, uh, when you're saved, it's not if you can have eternal life. It's you have eternal life. It's very definite. Now, verse three gives us instructions on how to please the Lord with offerings. Verse three, notice verse three says, and I will make an offering by the fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice in performing a vow or in a free will offering or in your solemn feast to make a sweet savor unto the Lord if the, of the herd and or of the flock. A sweet savor, uh, that's an aroma that was pleasing to the Lord. The, offer, the word offering means to draw near, to have access. And uh, I want you to notice that phrase there, to make a sweet savor unto the Lord. You see it here in verse 3. Uh, You'll see it again in verse uh, 10, uh, verse 13. You see it there, uh, a a sweet savor unto the Lord. You'll see it also in verse 14, and then in verse 24 uh, as well. 
a sweet savor unto the Lord. It speaks of doing things that are pleasing to the Lord. Now we, we see there are several kinds of offerings uh, that God demanded that the uh, sacrificial system be established. And it was several reasons for it. By the blood offering, a man acknowledged that the atonement was made before God for his sins. They also admitted that another must make a substitutionary atonement for them. Uh, they could not atone for their own sins. And they also acknowledged that a blood atonement covered sin. Uh, it withheld the judgment of God. And it made possible the communion or fellowship of sinners with the holy God. And these sacrifices, these offerings, pointed to the day when Jesus Christ would once and for all atone for our sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 to 28, it says... And for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifices of himself. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered, uh, once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Then according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, the entire sacrificial system was only a shadow of good things to come. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. And so as we read the Old Testament, you find five offerings were divided unto a uh, kind of a sweet and a non-sweet offerings. All right? Uh, not sweet and salty, but sweet and unsweet. All right? Or non-sweet. The sweet offerings were well-pleasing to the Lord. Uh, now they included the burnt offering. That was uh, an offering that consumed by the entire animal. That, and consumed the entire animal. It spoke of voluntary surrender. 100% dedication. There was also the meal offering, expressing thanksgiving and God's sovereignty over their lives. There was the peace offering, uh, spoke of peace and fellowship with God. There was a sin offering, spoke of atonement for sin. And then there was a trespass offering, offering to make satisfaction for wrongs against God. Now the purpose of the offerings was to please God. Now we don't make those offerings today, do we? Why? Because Jesus Christ made that offering once and for all, according to Hebrews. Jesus Christ, on the cross, put an end to the need of all these offerings. Uh, He was the final sacrifice that was needed. And this is why he cried, it is finished. The blood atones for our sins when we put our faith in him. The purpose of these offerings was to please God. And pleasing the Lord ought to be the desire of every one of us who name the name of Christ here this morning. So what does the Bible say about this subject of pleasing the Lord? How do we please the Lord? What is taught about this topic? Uh, What do we need to do? What is the result of pleasing the Lord? I want to give you some elements. I'm going to list you 12 principles. That doesn't mean we're going to spend a long time on each one. Uh, We'd miss our lunch, right? 
But I'm going to give you 12 of uh, a list of 12 principles from God's word concerning pleasing the Lord. Let's go to the first one. First of all, one does not entangle self in worldly affairs. One does not entangle himself or themselves in worldly affairs. 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him, God, who hath chosen him to be a soldier. A soldier in battle doesn't allow himself to get entangled uh, with the routine distractions of life. The battle is at hand. Victory uh, or defeat is going to be ahead. And the ultimate motive for faithfulness and perseverance in the battle ought to be our loyalty, our desire to please our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. Anything less than full loyalty and dedication reveals that we have a lack of devotion for him. Another principle. It demands we have faith in the Lord. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith pleases God. God is pleased when we, as his creatures, turn to him and trust him for our needs and for even our desires. God is pleased when we depend upon him and we rely upon him. To rely upon anything else is not to rely upon him at all. God desires we trust and rely upon him for every need of our lives. Say, ah, I can take care of myself. No, Uh, You may be able to take care of yourself to a point, but what you need to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for every need. And the first need you have is to be saved. The first need you have is to know Christ as your Savior. And then every detail after that needs to be put into his trust. When we so live that way, it pleases him. Now, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, But with faith it is, without faith it is impossible. I want you to notice that word impossible. It has the sense of not possible, powerless, powerless. When we're not trusting him, we move ourselves out of the parameter of pleasing God. And then you will notice here that the beginning of faith is the acknowledgement and realization that God exists. He says, He is. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is. Do you believe that this morning? Are you living like that this morning? You notice also the word cometh. He that cometh. That's a sense of drawing near. You know, when we have our little ones who are learning how to walk, we say, come here. Come here, you know. And we urge them to walk and come. You know, that's what Jesus is is urging us to do. He's urging us to come near. To start walking. Walking with Him. Drawing near. But before we can draw near to God, we must begin with simple faith, faith and realize that God exists. As we diligently seek him, his 
rewards, his recompenses, and his blessings. The key is to diligently seek him. And that's accomplished by a trust and a reliance upon him which leads us to all that he has said to do. And so faith is something that pleases God. Thirdly, doing good and distributing to others. Doing good and distributing to others. Now remember, we're not talking about earning our salvation here. We don't earn our salvation by doing good and being a generous person. No, we're talking about the result of salvation. And when we do good and distribute or share with others, it is pleasing to God. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, notice what it says, God is well pleased. God is well pleased. The word communicate there is a word which literally means fellowship, to have fellowship. And the idea of fellowship does not mean that we're just going to stand around and visit with one another. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to sit down and eat a meal together, although we do fellowship when we eat a meal together. But that's not necessarily the, the idea of fellowship here. The idea is how God's people ought to be willing to give When the need arises, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Notice a fourth principle. A daily walk with the Lord is important. Again, we go to Hebrews 11 and we look at verse 5 and we read there about a man by the name of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony. And what was his testimony? That he pleased God. In Genesis 5, 24, it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, in Hebrews there, the word translated means transposed or transferred. Uh, This is a foreshadowing of the rapture. That's a wonderful truth here that Enoch so walked and so lived that he pleased God. And so God translated Enoch or transferred him directly to heaven, sparing him the pain of death. And God may do that to you if you know Christ. Because he's coming again to take us to be with him. And he may translate us, he may transfer us to heaven without death. And it could be at any day. Maybe today. He walked by faith. Maybe you heard the story about uh, the way one little girl told about Enoch. After she got home from Sunday school, she told her mama the story this way. Enoch lived a long time ago. And God would come by every afternoon and say to him, Enoch, would you like to take a walk with me? Enoch would say, yes, I'd like to walk with you, God. And so every day God would come by Enoch's house and Enoch would go walking with God. And one day God would come by Enoch's house and they would go walking. And one day God said, Enoch, let's take a long walk today. I want to talk to you. So they started out. Enoch had gotten his coat, even took his lunch. And they started walking. And they walked and they walked and they walked and they walked. And finally it began to get late. Enoch said, my, it's getting late and I'm a long way from home. Maybe I better start back. 
But God said, Enoch, you're closer to my home than you are to your home, so you just come and go home with me. And so Enoch went home with God. Now this is the very thing that could happen to you who know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's going to happen someday. And again, I say maybe today. But Christ is going to come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up, shall be translated, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now the first thing that pleases God is for you to get saved and have a personal relationship with the Lord so you can walk with Him on a daily basis and then you'll be ready when He says, let's go to my house. You know, I'd rather be walking in obedience to the Lord when He comes than being found in disobedience and be ashamed by the way I was living when I got to heaven. And so our daily walk is important. Number five, there's another principle in God's word. It's the duty of all Christians to please the Lord. It's the duty. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Now that's at the beginning of the chapter. I just quoted concerning the rapture uh, just a moment ago. And Paul implores his readers, even as he had already taught them, to walk and to please God, abounding in the same. Uh, Clearly it's our duty to live our lives so we please God. We ought to so abound therein all the more. Did you ever wake up in the morning and wonder what day it was? Ever happened to you? It'll happen the older you get, right? You may lie there in bed and say, what have I got to do today? Is it today or tomorrow? Uh, Is it a day that I go to work or is it a day that I stay home? Oh, uh, today is Sunday. Yay, I don't have to go to work. Unless you work on Sunday, I guess. I don't have to go to work. I have no responsibility today. I can do whatever I want. I can sleep in. I can get up and I can have a relaxing breakfast. I can drink my coffee on the back porch. This is great. You wouldn't say that on a weekday, would you? No, you'd get out of bed and you'd hurriedly get your breakfast. You'd get to work on time so you didn't have to uh, get docked any pay. And you would be on your job. Why? Because it's your duty. And I believe it pleases God to be a good, conscientious worker who's on time, who's there uh, fulfilling his responsibility. Well, what about your day off? What about Sunday? What pleases God on those days? Well, thankfully, you're here this morning. And I hope you're here because you cheerfully desire to be doing your duty. 
Not because you have to, but because you want to please God. Our sixth principle would be, it would be the desire of all servants of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Paul says he didn't preach to the Thessalonians using tricks. Or saying uh, sayings that would please them. But his ministry to them was without deceit or guile. Desiring to please God and not men. You know when the Bible is preached in truth and honesty. It always uh, is not always pleasing to men. Sometimes people get their toes stepped on when the preacher preaches the Bible. And it hurts. But you know what? It still pleases God. You may not like what you hear, but if I'm preaching to please God, then God will try and test your hearts. And pleasing God should be the desire of all God's servants, whether they're ones preaching or the ones listening. Number seven, the dumbness of preaching pleases God. You say, the dumbness of preaching? I'm referring to the world's view. The world doesn't want to be preached to. They will say things like that. They'll say, don't start preaching to me. But notice what God says in 1 Corinthians 1.21. And after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You see, the world's intellectuals, They have their pseudo-wisdom, and they knew not God. And so, therefore, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, further implied is that the elite of that day disdained such a rude practice of lifting one's voice to preach. They were too cultured for that. They would rather dialogue. Well, we got some people like that today. They'd rather have a dialogue than have preaching of the word. You know, dialogue sometimes is, is, is not really very productive because it just gives the opinions of two people to each other. And it really doesn't base what they're saying on the word of God. And we know there's some so-called preaching today that doesn't base itself on, on the word of God, but... We dare not preach without God's word at the foremost. Some people might say, well, let's just get together and let's just discuss a book about the Bible or a religion. Let's just have a dialogue. Nobody wants to hear any preaching. Nobody wants to hear somebody get up and raise his voice at us. That's no fun. Besides, it's not interesting. It's boring. You know what? God's way is the simple way. It's preaching. He has a plan to save those who believe. That's what the the word says. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It's not through concerts. It's not through praise services. It's through preaching. 
The word translated preaching refers to a proclamation by a public herald. It implies here lifting one's voice as a trumpet. Isaiah 58 verse 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Listen, that's God's plan. That's not just because I'm a big mouth. My wife says I talk too loud sometimes. Well, I say I'm a preacher. You know, the word world thinks it's dumb. Unfortunately, many churches today have thought it's not necessary either. Because they've, uh, they've replaced the preaching with praise services and videos and seminars and Bible study groups. And the Bible says that the foolishness or the dumbness of preaching pleases God. And that's why that's the main thing here at Spooner Baptist Church is the preaching. Number eight. Listen, young people. Deference to parents pleases the Lord. He said, use that word deference last week. What's that mean? means obedience. Well, why don't you say obedience? It doesn't start with a D. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And our young, church, uh, young children, often sometimes not in the service, others are in the service, but this is for teenagers as well. You will please God when you obey your parents. When mom and dad says, we're going to church, children are to obey. Young people might not think it's cool to listen and not obey their parents. It's cool not to obey their parents, but it's still in the Bible. It still pleases the Lord. It says, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Number nine, the development of a broken and contrite heart. Here we look at the example of David in Psalm 51, verse 17. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. Do good to thy, in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole offerings. Then they shall offer bullocks upon thine altar. The psalm, of course, is involved, uh, involved the confession of David after he recognized his sin before God with Bathsheba. And the sin certainly did not, release, uh, did not please God. David knew that. The fact is there was no sacrifice for adultery and murder. But there was a certain fearful looking for a, of judgment. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully, and that's what David did. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. You see, it's possible that David may have been so illuminated as to see far beyond the symbolic ritual of sacrifices, and his eye of faith may have looked with delight upon the full atonement of sin for sin on the cross. 
That's possible because it's the subject of the previous psalm. David realized the futility of animal sacrifice and he would have been glad to have offered thousands of sacrifices to cover his sin, but he knew that was not what God wanted. Rather, David was mature enough, even spiritually, to know that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. In other words, God was going to be pleased with that. And that's what God actually yearns uh, is a heart broken with grief over their sin. God will never despise true contrition and a broken spirit. David had come to learn that the hard way, but he learned his lesson well. I wonder, have you learned that lesson this morning? God is pleased when a sinner comes broken and contrite over his sin. God will not despise such repentance. Let's move on. Number 10. Declaring praise to the Lord pleases our Lord, our King. Psalm 69, 30 and verse, uh, verse 30 and 31. I will praise the name of God with a song and with, will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bullock that hath horns and hooves. When we praise the Lord, it pleases the Lord. It develops peace with the enemies. Proverbs 16 and verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And number 12, the 12th principle, divine answers to prayer are the result. 1 John 3.22 And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. And notice this. Do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, let me ask you this morning. Are you pleasing the Lord? Are you pleasing the Lord? Go back to Numbers here. In Numbers 15, verse 18 and 19. It says here, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land, whether I bring you, then it shall be, when ye shall eat of the bread of the land, ye shall offer up a heave offering unto the Lord. God said that he would bring them into the land. Salvation is not only given to us, but the Lord will bring us victory. First Chronicles 29, 11 says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I close this morning, I want us to just look at one other important principle here in Numbers 15. We find the provision was made for all those who sinned ignorantly. You find that in verses 22 through 29. It says, And if, if ye have erred and not observed all these commandments, the sacrifices that were described were in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. They took care of all the sins of commission. But the instructions here have to do with unintentional sins of omission. Things that people should have done, but they didn't do. And the sin might be corporate and involve an entire nation, as we see there in 
uh, in verses 24 through 20, uh, 29 or 26. Or it could be a transgression of an individual, verses 27 through 29. But even though the people who sinned didn't realize their failure, what they didn't do was, or what they didn't do was a sin and had to be dealt with. He said, well, I didn't know. You know what? That doesn't work for the Lord. You go before the throne of God, that won't work. I didn't know. I didn't know what the speed limit was, officer. He says, okay, let me tell you. And here's a ticket for going 15 over the speed limit. Doesn't work. Saying, I didn't know. The sinner had to come God's appointed way so he could forgive them and restore them to fellowship and blessing. And if the whole nation of Israel sinned, they would bring a young bull for a burnt offering, an offering of dedication, plus the required drink offering and grain offering and a male goat for a sin offering. And the individual who sinned had to bring a year-old female goat as a sin offering. And God promised to forgive those who truly sought him by faith. And of course, forgiveness didn't come because of the blood of the animals, but because of Christ's shed blood for sinners, fulfilling what these animals symbolized. But you know, there are some times when we sin against the Lord by what we do. And sometimes by what we don't do. But sins of ignorance aren't automatically forgiven just because we unintentionally forgot God's commands. These sins must be confessed confessed to the Lord just as we confess sins of commission. The fact that God forgave sins of omission didn't mean he was easy on sin because blood still had to be shed. And you notice one more thing, to sin presumptuously, that's what we talked about last week, the peril of presumption, but here it is again, means to disobey God's law deliberately and arrogantly, knowing full well the danger that's involved. The Hebrew literally means to sin with a high hand, as though a person were shaking his or her fist at the face of God, daring God to do something. Presumptuous sins are committed by people who have no fear of God before their eyes. Presumptuous sins, pompous, proud sinners reproach God. They act as if God commands are harsh. The authority of God is not recognized. It's not respected. Apathy concerning God's favor or pleasing Him exists in their heart. And their attitude is, I don't care if I don't please God. I don't care if I go to hell. I'm going to have a party down there. That's not going to be any party like you know here. Listen, are you pleasing God this morning? If you're here without Jesus Christ as your Savior, I urge you to come to Him today. Recognize how sinful Uh, your life is and how it does not please God and how you're going to spend an eternity in hell when you die. Recognize you must be born again. Recognize that you must trust Christ for salvation. Receive him and be again pleasing the Lord today. And if you are saved, I trust also as a Christian, you too have a great responsibility to please the Lord. You can't say, well, I'm saved. I can do anything I want. We need to please God in our lives. We need to come to know the blessing of God upon our life as we walk with him 
and seek to please him in all we do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven.